Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, Venture, we are in the middle of a kind of three, four part series in the book of Romans. And as I told you, we've been going through the book of Romans this whole year, but there's a section of it, chapters nine through 11, where the apostle Paul is wrestling with the subject of uh, what happened to Israel? What happened to the Jewish people? And in it, he's taken us into a deep dive on some of the most debated topics in Christianity. And if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that message because we walked through Romans chapter nine. And in Romans chapter nine, Paul in very strong terms talks about the sovereignty of God, the election of God and how he works from a divine perspective in our salvation. Now, as I told you last week though, we we have the two poles, we have the two stools because there's two parts in scripture. And, And so as we said last week, just to summarize and review with it, the Bible clearly teaches God's sovereignty. You can't go through Romans nine and take it at face value without seeing the clear sovereignty of God in it. But at the same time, it also teaches human responsibility. And that's that struggle that we have that the truth of God's word's not based on our ability to comprehend it. God presents these truths and things that that look like a conundrum, things that look like they don't match, how could they be? And he asks us to accept them at face value. Now it's interesting, we, we see this in other places, you see it in the universe. It's interesting, Einstein demonstrated that light appears to behave like a wave, and then sometimes it behaves like a particle, which up until the point he showed that were mutually contradictory. How how could it be those things? And and yet if you study physics and you look at it, you go, I've got to accept what's being presented in the evidence. In the same way, the apostle Paul calls us and scripture calls us to wrestle with some things that are a little bit, and we talked about it, they're beyond because we're trying to understand the infinite with finite minds. You know, few people wrestled with this more than John Calvin. And we talked, if you're of the reformed side of things, if you're strong in election, for some of us, I grew up in that Calvinism is probably the most fleshed out system of trying to understand this. And some people love it. And some people like, as soon as you say the word, they they kind of throw up, it's usually based on their experience. You know, it's interesting to me though, as much as Calvin poured over this, you know, his favorite verse in the whole Bible was from Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the works of this law. And the reason he loved this verse is this first line here where he says, there are secret things of God that we don't quite understand and we won't. And they're his and we give them to him. And yet the second part of the verse is, but we focus on the things that we can't understand that he's made abundantly clear. And so when you think of this infinite God who's communicating to us, Calvin has another phrase that says, the deepest thoughts of man are like the babbling of a child from God. In other words, like, you you know, when you talk to a little baby, you talk to a child that doesn't know words yet, 
You probably don't sit down with them and go, I'd like to have a conversation with you. Now, what do we do to relate to children like that? We look at them and we go, goo, 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 ga, ga, ga. And they look at you and they're like, that's profound. And we're communicating because you have to get on their terms for them to understand. That's what Calvin was saying. When you come to the deepest things that we've come up with in humanity, from God's perspective, it's still goo, goo, ga, ga because he's so much bigger and broader. And, and, and so when we wrestle with these two topics of, of God's sovereignty and human responsibility, we have to take them side by side. That's one of the reasons I love this section of scripture because Paul puts them side by side. Last week, Romans nine, he walks strong through election. This week, Romans 10, he flips it over and he goes, now let me tell you from the human side of things, what happened? and specifically what happened with the people of Israel. Why did Israel of all people, the people that had the law, the people that had the blessing, they had everything, the people that literally had Jesus walk around among them, why would they reject him? And last week as we looked at it, Paul said, well, part of it is part of God's plan. Not all of Israel is Israel. And so it was executing according to God's plan. This week he flips it around and he goes, yeah, but let me tell you from a human perspective why they missed it. And, and you'll look at it, this, this section is actually a great case study for why is anybody lost? Why is anyone, because if, if Israel missed it, anybody could miss it. And so as we walk through this, it's a great opportunity for us to look at it and go, why would anybody not be a Christian, especially those who've been exposed to Jesus? And, and so as you look at it, why are people lost? Well, the first reason we see, and when I use that term lost, let, let me make sure I'm clear, because sometimes you'll say lost, and, and I'll talk to people, and I'm not lost. I know where I'm going in life, I know what I'm doing. I, I, I'm not using it as a pejorative term. Jesus described it this way. And he said, here's my key mission to earth to seek and to save the lost. I'm looking for those who are lost. And, and he's using it in the context like a shepherd. And so as a shepherd who comes, I've got the sheep that are here, but what about the ones who are out there? What about the ones who might be in distress? What about the ones who are lost? They don't even know they're lost, they're vulnerable. And so I've come because I'm looking for them and I wanna save them. I want, I want them to be a part of the flock. And, and that's certainly in the context of Israel true, but we see in scripture, it's true of all people. So why would anyone be lost? Well, the first reason we see from this passage is, and, and it's the core, they reject who Jesus is and what he's done. In fact, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, if you don't have a Bible, use the blue one in front of you. You're gonna wanna see it in the text. It's page 1,100, probably 23, 24, right in there. In Romans 10, and he actually is dipping, we're gonna dip back at the end of chapter nine as he says, let me tell you why Israel is lost. Okay, he says in Romans 9, 32 and 33, let me tell you why. Verse 32, because they did not pursue it by faith but as if it was based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So he says the, the core reason 
is they stumble over this stumbling stone. Now, who's the stumbling stone? It's Jesus. Uh, Paul's quoting a prophecy from Isaiah. So even 700 years earlier, 700 years earlier, Isaiah says, man, the Messiah is gonna come and instead of embracing him as the stone of foundation, they're gonna stumble over him. And, and the metaphor is, is like a stone when a mason goes down to the quarry and they're looking for just the right stones to build something. And they come to a stone and they look at it and go, mm, this is the wrong one. And, and Isaiah and Paul, they're quoting this, that, that Jesus was the perfect stone. He was the perfect foundation, but they rejected him. Paul expands it. It's not just the Jews alone. Look in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And again, he uses the same metaphor, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so, so he says, Jews, they were looking for a sign. So they said, hey, we're looking for the Messiah and the Messiah is gonna do some key signs and miracles. And that's what we're looking for. The problem was Jesus came along and did all of the miracles the Messiah was supposed to do. In fact, as he quotes that at times, he says, hey, the lame are walking, the blind see, the deaf can hear. These were specific signs that they were given in prophecy that when you see somebody and he's starting to do all these things, he's Messiah. And Jesus did those things and they still didn't accept him. And then Jesus died on a cross. And for the Jews, they looked at it and go, oh, well, of course he's not Messiah. Because scripture also says, anyone who dies on a tree is cursed. And so he's cursed by God. He can't be Messiah. And, and yet he died on the cross and then he rose again. And it shows the full gospel there that yes, Jesus was cursed by God. He was cursed when he was on the cross. He had all the, the sin of the world placed on him and the judgment of God was placed on him, the curse, so that he could pay for it. And then when he rose again, it showed God's validation. It showed God's power. And so he's the ultimate sign was his death and resurrection. But for the Jews, instead of seeing, oh man, this is the foundation stone I ought to build my life on, they stumbled over it. It's not just Jewish people. Notice he says, when he says the Greeks, he's talking about the rest of the world, by the way. So if you're here and you go, well, I'm not Jewish, or I'm not Greek, so I must be okay. No, this is everybody. <laughs> and, and for the Greeks, they look at the whole thing and they go, oh, Christianity, that's kind of a simplistic system, isn't it? Oh, he died and rose again. Oh, that's cute. That's sweet. Maybe you've experienced that. You, you ever had that when, when somebody finds out, maybe if you're a Christian and you tell them and then they're like, wait, you really believe that? And their demeanor almost changes. Like they like, oh, I thought you were an educated person. I thought you were a little smarter than that. And it's, it's that kind of same mentality of it where they look at it and they go, that, that's sweet, you believe that and you can have your faith and you can but you really are gonna base your whole life on this? It's the foundation for your life. And notice what Paul's saying, and it goes back to this core reason why people are lost. It's what do you do with Jesus? Guys, he is either the rock that you stand on 
or he's a stone that you stumble over. It's one or the other. You have to do something with him. What he did here on this planet, the life he lived, what he taught, what he experienced, his death on the cross, and then his resurrection, you got to do something with it. And and Paul says it it really is binary. It comes down to you're either going to make the choice that you go, yeah, he is who he says he is. He did what I needed him to do, what only he could do. And he'll be the foundation. He is the, the foundation stone of my life. Or he's going to always be this stumbling block that I got to work around. And, and he's talking specifically to those who heard about Jesus. So you're in the club now. Every single one of us, it'll be a part of life. What do you do with Jesus? And, and Paul, notice what he doesn't say in this passage. He doesn't say, and they are not part of the family of God because they were not elected and God chose something. He's already talked about that side of the equation. He says, let's flip it around. Let me tell you why they chose. They made the decision. And God didn't overrule their heart in that. God didn't come in and make people who wanted to believe stumble over something. They chose that. And what is true of them is true of all people. That all of us have to make that decision in that. Is is he the foundation I stand upon or is he the stumbling block I stumble over? Look at the second reason people are lost. They're passionate, but they're wrong about what they believe. They're really passionate. Read with me, starting in verse one of chapter 10. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So Paul says, man, I want them to be saved for I bear them witness that they have a zeal, a passion for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Verse five, for Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. So the first thing Paul points out, he says, man, they are passionate. They have a zeal, but it's a zeal for the wrong thing. It's the wrong belief system that they're still holding to a belief system that if I can keep this law, if I can keep all these commands, if we're good enough in this system, that'll be good enough before God. And and Paul points out, he says, guys, they're zealous about it. They're passionate about it. In fact, if this today, there are people on this planet who are absolutely passionate about the faith that they're pursuing. Uh, you know, we lived, Lee and I lived for a couple of years in Bangkok. And, uh, you know, Thailand is Buddhist. It's like 98% Buddhist. I mean, everywhere. And you see the practice of it and you see this devout faith. In fact, the different houses, buildings, they all had spirit houses. 
And, and the, it looked like this ornate birdhouse that was out in front of it. The mall had a huge spirit house. And every day you'd see fresh flowers on it. You'd see fruit and, and things that were there for the spirits. So the spirits would live in that house and not your house. We, we were there for a huge election. It was interesting watching this, this change of power during one of the elections and especially all the different government offices. And, and one of the most profitable businesses is if you are a really good psychic, you would go with a government official and walk them through the government building and tell them which office was gonna have the best fortune in it for the future. And it was fascinating. Some of the people that were the most powerful in the government had these tiny little offices like that were closets. Because a psychic had told them, man, this is a place of good luck and you'll do well in this office. Again, you, you look at it, very devout. If you were to travel across the Muslim world today, you're, you're gonna find people who are as zealous, devout. I mean, praying five times a day, going on pilgrimage, giving their lives to it. You go throughout South Asia and, and you'll see Hindus who've devoted their whole life to a system within it. Guys, I, I say this because you look all over the planet, it's not a case of who is more devout. It's not a case of who is more zealous. We looked at this early in Romans. The most important part of your faith is not that you have strong enough faith, that you have a zealous enough faith, that you practice it well. The most important part of anyone's faith is the object of their faith. Because no matter how much I might believe something, if I've put my faith in the wrong thing, boy, it's, it's a sad combination, isn't it? And, and, and Paul's calling it for what it is. He says, hey, it's not that they're not passionate. Honestly, these verses go against kind of one of the core principles of our culture today. Our culture today, people will tell you, it's not so much what you believe that you're sincere in your belief. As long as you're sincere in what you believe, that's all that matters. And Paul says, actually, that's not true. You have sincerely believed in the wrong thing. And unless you've made Jesus the foundation of your life because no one else did what Jesus did. Nobody else was who Jesus was. Nobody else accomplished for you what you uniquely need only from Jesus. And so having a devout, even a sincere faith in the wrong thing is still not enough. And yet a lot of people hold on to that. Look at the third reason. They're committed to their way instead of trusting God's way. He said in those verses, they're committed to their way of earning righteousness. And so in their way for the Jewish people, for many of them, especially the Pharisees and the ones that were really angry with Jesus, they said, we've got this set of rules, these laws that God gave us, and then we added some on top of it. But if we keep these, we'll be right with God. Now that was the Jewish form, but it's the same system for everybody out there. Everybody has this system. If you look at it, if you analyze any religion, they all boil down to pretty much the same thing. Do you do the right things in order to be right with God? or the universe, or the system of justice, or karma, whatever it is, is are you doing enough of the right things? 
In fact, there was a, a TV show a few years ago. I think it's off now. It's called The Good Place. I don't know if anybody saw The Good Place. This woman who dies and she finds herself that heaven is the good place. She finds herself in heaven, but she wasn't supposed to be there. And it's interesting, here, here's the whole system. They, they, they tell her that life's kind of like a big video game and you're earning points whether you knew it or not. And the top 10 people out of every 10,000 get to go to the good place. And some mistake, there's a glitch in the game, she was not supposed to be there. And so they start asking her questions to see, were you, know, were you good, a good person? Here's some of the questions they ask. Did you commit murder? Did you commit arson? Did you take your shoes and socks off on an airplane? <laughs> Which if you do, you're not a good person. Can I just say that? <laughs> Did you ever have a vanity license plate? Did you ever reheat fish in an office microwave? Have you ever cared about The Bachelors and any of its spinoffs? <laughs> they, they start going to this list of questionnaires to see, do you have a good life? And, and Eleanor, the woman says, you know, as we watch my life, you know, it doesn't make me look very great, so don't judge me. And the character Michael looks at her and says, I don't think you get it. That's the point of this whole exercise is to judge you. Did, did you get enough points? Now guys, we, we laugh at that list, but I, I'm gonna tell you, every system, every religion really boils down to the same thing. Did you earn enough points with God or the universe or even yourself that you can look at yourself and you go, yeah, I'm a good person. You know, when I'm weighing the scales of my life, yeah, that, there's more on this side than that side. And, and the whole system is based on that. See, that's the difference between every other system in Christianity. It really comes down to two letters. It's really the difference between do and done. See, every other religion, every other way, it's the things that you have to still do in order to be right with God, in order to be good enough. With Christianity, it's all based on what Christ has done. And you embrace what he has done instead of you're spending your whole life what you need to do. You go, that seems pretty simple. It really boils down to that. And that's why Paul is pointing with the Jewish people he said, they're still stuck in a system of what they need to do instead of embracing what Christ has done. As you look at that, the final thing he points out then is they make what is clear and available more difficult than it needs to be. We saw in those verses when, when he said, we don't have to ascend to heaven. We don't have to earn our way up to God. We don't have to descend. God came down to us. God's the one that provided that connection. We don't have to make this harder than it needs to be. We don't have to overcome what only God could overcome. We don't have to answer every answer to every question that we might have out there. And he uses that phrase, he says, salvation is near. It's right here. And yet, and I've seen this, there's people who constantly want to make it harder than it really is. And so they're constantly searching, well, there must be something else. 
or they're constantly kind of holding on to, well, until, you know, until these questions are answered for me. I mean, how could there ever be evil in the world? How could there be God's sovereignty and, and human free will? How, and, and hold on to things and chase the extreme instead of just embracing what is right in front of their face. Salvation's here. It's clear. And it really boils down to what are you gonna do with Jesus? And if you look at it, if, if the Jews could be lost, guys, anybody could. I, I love it though that Paul immediately comes out of this of where they are and why they're this way. And he turns it and he says, hey, salvation's right here. So, so let me tell you, how do you get saved? You place your trust in Jesus. You place your trust in Jesus. And he's gonna use two lines with it in these verses nine and 10. I'll put them up on the screen because I want us to see it here. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so you, you look at these two parts. When you talk about placing your trust in Jesus, sometimes we leave it in nebulous terms. Oh, you just need to trust Jesus. Paul says, let me tell you specifically how you trust him. And he gives these two parts of it. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, Jesus died and rose again. Now you may see this and, and you think it's step one and step two. This is actually a, a Hebrew form of writing. It's called parallelism. It's kind of like parallel train tracks. And so when the train's going down the track, which track is it going on? Well, it's going on both of them. And that's why he starts with one and then finishes with the other and then puts it in parallel on the second verse on it. What he's saying is these are both happening at the same time. This isn't like the two-factor authentication. You ever had that? And that does drive you crazy? Like you go on a site and, and here's where it is with, you know, my memory at this point. I go on a site and it says, put your password in. And I put the password in, it's like wrong password. And so you start doing that, you are like, okay, combination of which kid, what birthday, what, you know, and you're kind of like, oh, okay. And then, and then you go through that and finally you're just like, okay, just I'll do a new password. You hit that button, new password. And then you put in, okay, here's my new password. And then it comes up, can't use that one. You've used it in the last year and you're like, cut me some slack here. And you finally come up with a new password that's some new combination. You put that in, you push it, and you're like, now, finally. And then it says, we've sent a code. <laughs> and it's like another form of security on it. Paul's not making that way. He, he's not trying to complicate it. Oh, you've got to do this, and then you can follow that. He says, this is what happens in your life when you trust Jesus. And, and both of these things are happening. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Look at the two things he's emphasizing. That Jesus is your Lord. He's your leader. He's the Lord of your life. And he's your savior. He's the one that died and rose again. You actually believe that. So from a heart level and from an identification level, you've made your life about him. You'll be saved for the, with the heart you believe. And so remember we talked about the heart the last few weeks. The heart is the core of your life. It's not just talking about the emotional part of you. It's the core part of you. I actually believe that Jesus did that. I actually believe he died on the cross. I actually believe he rose from the dead because that's the miracle, by the way, that differentiates everything else. Man, you could actually believe that. That's why the Greeks looked at it and they go, you believe that? Yeah, I do. 
I actually believe he did it. And, and I believe it in my heart and the mouth you confess. And so what he's talking about with the mouth there is, it's not this thing that, you know, I, it's my private belief that I made, but no one must know what I've done. It's not this side of my life or this kind of when I show up at church, yeah, okay, it's part of my belief system. No, he, he's saying when you trust Jesus, when he's the foundation stone of your life, I mean, you're coming to him and it's the core and you identify with him. And so you're not ashamed of it. And, and he starts peppering your speech and your life. It's, it's core identity to who I am now. That's why we teach baptism here. That's why Jesus gave us believer's baptism. It's not how you get saved, but it's this visible representation of what Christ has done in your life. And so you show the world through a visible symbol of being in the water that, yeah, I was dead with Christ and now I'm alive with him. It's this combination of savior. He came and he saved me, I believe that but it's also Lord, he's leading me. And, and as you look at it and you go, well, I just kind of want the savior part. I don't know about the leading part, which Paul would look at and go, why would you want that? I mean, think about it. Remember our condition was we were lost. We're lost. We need somebody to come and save us, to rescue us. And so picture, picture if you will, have you ever been lost in a forest? You ever been lost somewhere? You ever been lost hiking? Uh, you know, today people don't get lost in their cars anymore because we have GPS. This illustration worked a lot better 20 years ago with it. But, but I don't know if you've ever been lost. You know, one time Lee and I, we, we were, when we lived in Bangkok, we, we went out and we got lost in a rainforest that she would say was mainly my fault and we might disagree about that. But if, if you get lost, let's say you're lost out there and, and someone comes to rescue you, to save you. And they say, I'm here, you're rescued. Oh, you need water, I got water, I got food. I got what you need. And you go, oh, I'm so thankful. And then they look at you and they go, now, now follow me. And you look at them and go, I really appreciate you showing up and this was a great experience. <laughs> love the food, love the water, exactly what I need. Not sure I wanna be bound by following you. I, I, I really am liking you know, doing it my way which by the way, got me lost. You'd look at it and you'd go, that's, that's crazy. And in the same way, Paul's not separating these two things out that you go, well, I just want Jesus to come save me, get what I need in the moment, but I'm gonna kind of do my life my way. He goes, no, you, you confess, you declare, man, he's my Lord, he's in charge now. He knows the best way to go. I was the one that got lost. Remember, he's the shepherd, I'm the sheep. And so, and so it's just as I'm building my life on him, it's not just this momentary thing, it's a life of following him. Remember his core command when he told his disciples? Remember what he says, if you wanna be his disciple? You follow me. I'm the guide, I'm the leader. I know the best parts of life. That'd be the thing about it. The guide looking at you lost says, hey, I don't wanna take you to the bad parts of the forest. I want you to experience the best parts of it. In fact, I know where they are. I know how to get you through the hard times. I know how to lead in ways that, that you don't have to do the same pitfalls. But you gotta trust. And so that means a, a belief system and an identification 
of my life in him. That I will confess, yeah, he's my Lord. I believe, oh, he's my savior. I'm building my life on him. And then as you do that, you recognize it's a universal invitation for all people. It's for all people. I love this. He says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Remember, both stumbled over it. He says, I don't care. I don't care where you're coming from. I don't care if your issue was a wisdom issue. I don't care if your issue was a a religion issue. I don't care what that is. Anyone, the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on him. And, And that's the unique thing as well about Christianity. Guys, it's the most inclusive group out there. You know, some of you go, whoa, wait a second. It's very exclusive because you said it was only through Jesus. Yes, it's only through Jesus, but it's an inclusive invitation to all people. No one's excluded from the invitation. No one's excluded from what Christ wants to bring. And in fact, as you look at it, I heard one author say, as he described it, and I thought this was true, the gospels produce the most demographically inclusive community the world has ever seen. Islam is still predominantly Arab. Become a Muslim, you become culturally in that way. Buddhism is still predominantly East Asian. Look at it on the map. Hinduism is still predominantly South Asian. But Christians are now, it's evenly split between Europe, between North America, Latin America, Asia, and Africa. And guys, the places it's growing the most in Africa and throughout Asia. Those are the parts where the the church is exploding the most in Latin America as well. I mean, it's this power to cut across all cultures, all people, because it's a free gift to all. So you don't have to adjust your lifestyle to a certain way with that. You just have to look at Jesus and go, okay, he's my savior, he's my Lord, he's my God, I'll follow him. And Jesus uniquely has the ability to step across every culture while honoring the culture, but changing the people within it. It's this unique thing that only Christ has been able to do. And it's one of the reasons I love being in the Bay Area. I love being in San Jose, because San Jose and New York are the two most culturally diverse cities in the US. And there's so many people groups here. And you know what I love about it as a pastor? No matter what people group you're dealing with, you just point them to Jesus because he has the ability to step across cultures. I'm so thankful he stepped across into mine. You gotta remember, he was a dark-skinned Middle Eastern man who's changed the world in every culture. And the invitation's available for all of us. A final thing I just point out with it and hope you grab this. You gotta embrace the, experience, the opportunity to experience life as God designed it. That, that verse when we said, for the son of man came to seek and to save, that word save is sozo. And we have the noun soteres, salvation. Soteriology is that form of, of theology when we study it. But, but that word save, it's more than just this instantaneous, let me give you a ticket to heaven, let me make sure your eternity's secure and that you get there. The word really means It's to to change all of life. It's it's to change your purpose in life. 
It's to change your foundation in life. It's to change your outlook in life. It's to, to change you both internally and externally. Everything about it is to be able to experience life as God designed it. And so when Jesus said, I came to not only look for them, but I wanna change them. Because I want them to experience all of life the way God designed it. And, and you look at it, and it's one of the things that I love the most. I love when I meet people from different cultures, different places. This room is filled with them, people you're watching online that have different stories of how Jesus met you and he's changed your life. You know this is true. I was reading about a young man who grew up Orthodox Jewish. So he'd be right in the heartbeat of this passage today. He grew up in South Africa. And he was a scientist by training. He loved the order of the world. And as he grew up as an Orthodox Jew, as a child, he loved the stories of how God had rescued his people. And, and he loved hearing about it. But as he became an adult, they started to become just stories. And God for him was kind of a belief system, but he was never personal. And, and as he trained as an astronomer, he, he marveled at the order of the universe but couldn't make the connection between is there a personal God behind it? He befriended another professor, Alan Hurst. And Hurst would have these conversations with him, but he had this joy about him because Hurst was a Christian. He'd made Jesus the foundation of his life. And one day he asked him, he said, would you be willing, I know you're Orthodox Jew, but would you be willing to talk to a pastor? And he said, you know, I was raised by my parents to explore any form of knowledge. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk to a pastor. And as he sat down with the pastor, the pastor looked at him and found out about his background and listened to David's words. He, he said, taking a Bible in his hand, Pastor Spiker turned to Romans 9.33, where Paul affirms that Yeshua, Jesus, is a stumbling stone to the Jewish people but those who freely choose to believe in him will never be ashamed. By divine grace, suddenly everything became perfectly clear. Yeshua was the stumbling stone, my stumbling stone. Jesus, Jesus had fulfilled all the messianic prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures, where the Messiah would be born, how he would die and everything else. And while most Jewish people today are still waiting the Messiah's coming, I knew I had found him and that all I had to do was respond to his free offer of grace. Immediately, I asked the pastor to pray with me. And that day at the age of 22, I surrendered my heart and my reason to Christ Jesus. His spirit spread through every cell of my being. As I look back on those days, I realized that I had been infused by God's grace. He had been planting spiritual seeds every time I gazed up into the heaven. I still marvel that a God so majestic and powerful would know my name and love me as intimately as his only begotten son. I love life change stories like that. I, I love how God uses different scriptures. I love a young man who this passage talks about that, yeah, as a Jewish people, they've stumbled over Jesus. And in that moment, he looked at it and he goes, oh, that's me. I'm stumbling over him. 
And, and he made a choice instead of this stumbling block in life. He's gonna be the foundation that my whole life is rooted in that I stand upon. And in that moment, his life was changed. See, it's just one of hundreds of millions of stories of people throughout history who found that to be true about Jesus. Because as Paul said, it's not this hard thing. It's not this thing you have to overcome. It's not this thing that you have to earn. You don't have to make it to heaven. You don't have to get all the way down to the abyss. Salvation is just right in front of you. But what are you gonna do with it? And the reality is there's some in this room, some listening to this today. If you're honest with yourself, you've been stumbling over Jesus your whole life. You don't know what to do with him. Because there's a part of you that refuses to accept that he really is the savior. He really did do what only he could do on the cross. He really did rise from the dead. There's a part of you that you don't want to make him Lord. You don't want to follow him because you don't want to trust him. Hear me. If that's you, you know how Jesus would describe you? He would say you're lost. Whether you know it or not, you're lost. That's the bad news. The good news, you're exactly the kind of person he's looking for. He said, the whole reason I came is to look for and to save people just like you. And so I wanna give you the opportunity today. If, if you would say, yeah, I, I don't know that I've been found. I don't know that I've ever taken that step of belief. The gospel's near, today's the day of salvation. So I'm gonna ask where you are. If everyone, just go ahead and bow your heads for a moment. Just bow your heads. We're gonna go into a time where we take communion, where we're gonna remember what Christ did. But before we do that, I don't wanna go through a passage like this and a message like this without giving the opportunity for some here today who've not made that step that you need to make that declaration. You need to, in your heart, believe and you need to confess, yes, he's my Lord. And so if you're here today and you go, yeah, I want that to be true of me. I just want you to pray this with me. It's not having the perfect words. It's the posture of your heart. And so if you want this to be true of you, pray with me. Say, dear Lord, I'm coming here today because I need Jesus. I recognize I'm a sinner and I need a savior. So right now, I believe that he died and rose for me. And I recognize I need a guide. I need someone to lead me. And so I declare right now, he is Lord.
If you prayed that prayer, I want you to, Paul says, confess with your mouth, but you can confess right now. Just slip up your hand as just recognition. Yeah, I, I prayed that today. Jesus is my savior. Yeah, yeah. Praise God. Praise God. And I would encourage you what you just did in that moment and slipping up your hand of identifying your life with Christ. Make, make him your identity every step as you go forward. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you did what we could not do. You took what was impossible and you made it simple for us. Lord, I thank you for those who took that step of faith today. Thank you for those who today, Christ went from a stumbling block to the foundation of their life. I pray, would you encourage them right now? Just like David's story, would they know the Holy Spirit is filling them, that they've got a family here who's for them? Would you be with them every step of the way? Lord, we thank you and we praise you for Christ. And we pray this in his name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.